Welcome to the Sex, God, and Chaos podcast, a conversation built to help you address the mess, connect the dots, and defeat addiction. Doing your work matters because if nothing changes, then nothing changes. Life is tough and we're here to help. I'm your host, Ben Derrick, and as always, I'll be joined by Roan Hunter. Let's jump right in. Roan, back in the podcast studio for Sex, God, and Chaos podcast. This is one of those things in my life I'm having an absolute blast doing. Dude, it is. It is fun. I mean, where else do you get to say sex, God, and chaos all in one sentence? Yeah, know. yeah. It's just one of those things like, hey, did you know I'm on the sex, God, and chaos podcast? The, yeah. the great part about those is that we just have these incredibly high caliber guests coming in. And, and one of the things that rolls out every episode is that they have done their work. The language that we use, they have done their work. Man, that is so true. Um, and, you know, today's guest uh, is Rob Lohman. Um, Rob's got a book out um, uh, around recovery. Uh, he'll talk about that in the podcast. But he's just one of those guys, you know, he's, he has done his work. He didn't read this stuff in a, in a book or something. Well, his, yeah, totally. His, the, the take that he has on rock bottom, mm. I've literally never heard before. And you realize, like, there's a guy who's been there. Uh, but he says, and we'll get to this in the interview, but he says there's there's nothing really uh, sacred or holy about waiting for someone to hit rock bottom. <laughs> Which I'm like, well, when you put it that way, <laughs> yeah. you know. Uh, but the, he talks about lifting rock, rock bottom up, and it felt like we really connected with that uh, analogy, the way that he was getting it across. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I think... Um, We'll have to title this episode uh, "Pirates of Mississippi." Uh, yeah, hope, hopefully one of our previous guests and friends, uh, Nate Larkin, won't be too upset. No copyright we, infringement yeah, yeah, there. No. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. you'll see why as you listen to this episode. Yeah, a man whose uh, dog literally saved his life. Let's dive in. Man, excited to have uh, Rob Lobin with us uh, today on the Sex, God, and Chaos podcast. Um, Rob, I've uh, heard your story, and um, you know, uh, you're you're like I always say, if you go see somebody as a counselor, coach, and if they haven't done their own work, you need to kind of back out of the own the room, put your hand on your wallet, don't trust them. If they read that in a, if they read all this stuff in a textbook, they're dangerous. Um, so, man, just uh, glad to have you with us today. Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, it's funny. I remember when. Um... I was sitting in a room once going through some parent, it was kind of like some parent education counseling, right? And the person that was teaching the class wasn't married, didn't have kids, and they were teaching this class on parenting and marriage. And I'm thinking, what are you doing here? So thank goodness I've been through like the gates of hell a few times in addiction and recovery to bring that experience to people when I sit down with them. Oh, yeah. It's, it's like those of us that have done the work, you know, yeah, we've, we've stormed the gates of hell with a water pistol, but, but we're storming, right? We're, we're in it. Uh, so man, if you, uh, just, um, if you could just kind of give us the kind of cliff notes of your story and, um, you, you know, tell us about the work that you do and, um, and then we'll talk about the book that you've, um, you've got out as well. Yeah. I appreciate that too. And, um, I'll throw this out there real quick in the beginning. Cause you know, some people start, start a podcast or listen to it and oh, yeah. the baby, the baby cries, the doorbell rings and they forget to come <laughs> back. So. I want to give a free gift to your people, for your listeners. They can go check it out, and we'll get into the story in the book. But 
If people go to freerecoverybook.com, now that domain name will change what's actually downloadable, but freerecoverybook.com is just a cool way to say, hey, let's connect. Thanks for tuning in and all that good stuff. So that's for your guests, the, your listeners awesome. that tune in. And yeah, man, the story has just been crazy. My story mainly involves um, alcohol, drugs, gambling, and sex. So let's just throw all those in there together for the cornucopia of. Uh, <laughs> so I, I I understand you're an equal opportunity addict. Yeah, right? and you, anything that gets like, me out of my current it, situation, <laughs> I, I was all for it at one yeah. time in my life. Yeah, E, all of the above. Yes, that, yep, that's I'll, right. I will take that. Just check the bottom box, and we're good to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I grew up in a Christian home in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and there was nothing crazy that happened in my life. Just you know, family love, God, church, and alcohol. And, uh, um, but alcohol was never like an evil thing for us. It was just, it was, an, it was attractive. There were parties my parents had, and I was just attracted to the allure of alcohol. So I didn't have a moment in time where it was like, man, I need a drink to cover up what happened in my life. So I say that because some people have had that and some people think, oh my gosh, there had to be a traumatic moment. Well, there really wasn't in my life. It was just alcohol. And then I created my own traumatic moments with everything else that ensued up. But I was 14 years old. It was my first drink. And I would say alcohol had me at, and then I drank it. And I was like, man, this stuff's pretty good. And it helped me through a lot. <laughs> yeah. It seems, seems to have that effect. You know, I, um, you've heard my story. Um, and yeah, I could have gone down that path. I did, uh, through high school and, and then some of college, but then, I became a specialist and moved into just, you know, being a specialist in my sexual addiction. Um, you're, you're, you were a generalist, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I was. I mean, I enjoyed alcohol, I enjoyed drugs, I enjoyed gambling <laughs> and I enjoyed sex. So, um, all, all those things, but in some of them stuck in different parts of my life, two different categories. Right. But, you know, high school was just a big party. I mean, I drank and drove all the time and, I'm actually doing this swim for recovery campaign right now where I'm creating awareness through sharing people's recovery stories and I'm swimming a mile a day just to create awareness because I gave up in high school. I gave up swimming, which I was really good at, to pursue a, a, new, a sports career in alcoholism. And, um, and that one uh, <laughs> continued on until I was 29 years old, but it was just insert crazy story. I mean, I became desperate, had tons of anxiety suicide ideation. It just continued to progress and really grow throughout high school, college, young professionalism. And, but all those, uh, you know, all those loves for those things all just kind of kept playing their own little role. And some, again, reared their ugly head in a different season where it was more intensity with gambling or drinking, but it was always something I just did to get out of how I actually felt. And I didn't even know what I was running from. I just enjoyed the party. Oh, yeah. So, you know, so often in working with addiction, be it sexual addiction, um, drug addiction, uh, you know, I always say drug, sex, rock and roll, uh, all of the above. We talk about trauma and, you know, kind of what I hear in your story, there wasn't um, like big T traumas, um, maybe some little T traumas. And sometimes I wonder about the little T traumas, if that's not just whining, Um but but those little t traumas can certainly add up. Um, I don't want to minimize that, but but I also think that sometimes it's just um, our human nature, our sinful nature, our 
desire to for pleasure, you know. Um, I don't know. Yeah, kind of uh, talk about that in your background. Yeah, because one of the things that I that a diagram I created for my book, the Addiction Intervention Book, talks about how you know first we start with use, and it could be sex, drugs, it could be alcohol, shopping, pornography, whatever it is. Right? We just start with kind of use, and then it turns into misuse, and then abuse, and then dependency, mm. and then it gets into addiction, and then something's got to change, whether it's an intervention in someone's life or it's just the law or something like that, that, that happens. And, but, you know, throughout, I, when I look back on my childhood and everything like that, you know, I had amazing parents. They were great parents and aunts, uncles, cousins. And, you know, my dad's generation was just kind of that generation that didn't show a lot of emotion. We're just kind of emotionally distant. And I remember one time in early recovery, I asked my dad, and it wasn't to shame him or anything like that at all. It was just, I asked my dad, I said, you know, dad, I don't know why, but I just, I remember negative things in my childhood, like kids that picked on me and just, you know, situations I got into. So there were some traumatic moments, right. You know, in in my life, but I would ask my dad and we were sitting there and I was, um, I was down in Texas putting the engagement ring together for my wife that I'm currently married to. And I just was in Lowe's and I started, my dad said he needed 10 bags of soil or something for a project. And God literally just downloaded, and I was sober at this time, God literally just downloaded to me, ask your dad to tell you 10 things about your childhood. And I asked him, and I said, yeah. you know, dad, and he started saying, well, you were a funny, goofy kid. There's one bag. And about the third or fourth bag, he just said, you know, son, I'm, I'm really sorry. I just, I really wasn't that emotionally present. And, and, and he wasn't like a jerk. He wasn't mean. He wasn't rude. He just wasn't like emotionally engaged because he didn't know how to be emotionally engaged as a dad because his dad, who was a doctor and stuff, wasn't really emotionally engaged with the kids, but he was in the grandkids, my papa, right? So don't fault my dad at all for any of that, but it was just he did the best he could, and I just remembered negative things, not about him, just about life. And that moment when we were doing that, it it brought us so close together Mm. just that we kind of just missed each other because when he was ready to kind of dive into you know, being a great father and things, I was already drinking at 14, 15, 16. And so I kind of checked out on getting his advice for life or anything. So I kind of put a wall up in some ways. Maybe I feel like I knew what was best for me, but that was just kind of my journey. I didn't, I was never disrespectful to authority or men or anything. It was just, I just like drinking and doing what I was doing. And, and in the background, Roan was, I grew up as a Christian. So I knew I was living away. I shouldn't be or didn't want to be living, but I was just figured that would change some point in my life. And it just, it just didn't until the walls came crashing down in my addiction later on. But yeah, what a, what a lonely journey it was. Even though I had a million acquaintances, I was lonely. And, you know, your story kind of illustrates that fact that it's not always, you know, some deep seated trauma and, you know, child abuse and all of that. I mean, that, that stuff is obviously real. But there's also just that part of it that, you know, it's our, it's our peers and, and pleasure, as I often say, and we just kind of get sucked into that. And then, yeah, we wake up one day and it's like, how did I get here? Right. <laughs> and yeah, got to find a way out. And that, that's that hitting the wall, hitting rock bottom. I always think it would be great if somebody could avoid that, but I'm not so sure that that's not necessarily God's plan A <laughs> up yeah. against our plan B, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, a lot of families takes that pain. 
Yeah, well, a lot of families call me as an interventionist and they need help. Whether it's, you know, sex, foreign affairs, alcohol, gambling, drugs, whatever it is, they'll call in. And after some of the conversations said, well, maybe we're not ready. We might just wait till my loved one hits bottom. Right. And I asked the question, I say, why do we need to wait till someone hits bottom? Why don't we bring the bottom up to your loved one, serve it on a nice little platter as a gift and say, hey, here's an opportunity today, right now in this moment, even people listening to your show, you can change the trajectory of your life right now today by getting some help. And then you get to decide whether you want the help or not. And those are the stories I tell in the addiction intervention book is just stories like that of here's an opportunity to get help. And families, how do you help a loved one that's struggling? And then the cool thing about that, Roan, is whether they accept help or not, they can look back on that date and time in their life and say, man, my family did everything they could to show me how much they loved me into recovery, and I chose to stay in my addiction. But they did try to do something, and I said, no, not yet. And then later on down the road, people come back and say, yeah, I'm ready for some help, or they go that day or whatever. And the situations are totally this broad spectrum. So I will never, ever say, like some other colleagues in this industry will say, I have a hundred percent success rate and no one's ever said no. Yeah, you know, I, I, I can't really tell you that, Roan, but I can tell you <laughs> that when you put the right things in place, people can change. And I mean I've had family members have had interventions on them and no one ever intervened on me really. It was just kinda Rob was just doing his thing and I'm sure people said stuff, but the key the key to addiction, are you ready for this, Roan? And and people listening, the key to addiction is always have someone around you that's worse off than you and the attention will not be on you. That's actually bad advice. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, life lesson. Uh, so you got a good life lesson uh, 101 for all our listeners. Uh, yeah. I love it. Um, but that seems to be, you know, what we do. It's just, you know, point the finger in another direction or blame somebody else. You know, typical, you know, addict behavior. Um, you know, I always just, you know, I like the term, you know, we go live in the victimhood. That's addict behavior. We're just living life as a victim and blaming others for all of our problems. And so when you say kind of bring the bottom up, um, what, just un, let's unpack that a little bit. What does that look like? Yeah, well, you know, so many, you hear so many people just say, well, we're just going to wait till they crash and hit bottom. When the mm-hmm. sad thing is bottom could be death, bottom could be prison, bottom could be accidental child abuse, bottom could be a lot of things that, we don't really need in our life to get the message. So when you can package something really nicely together and say, you know, honey, you know, husband, wife, grandpa, grandma, whomever it is, coworker, boss says, Hey, we're just so concerned right now. And it's kind of the, the L in my lifted from the rut intervention stands for listen with love. we got to listen with love and hear the pain behind the family member or the loved one and just say, okay, Let's put together a plan that says option A, and I, and, I, and I connect this a little bit. Do you remember the old show called uh, The Biggest Loser? Kind of like people went to the kind of fat farm for like oh, yeah. 30 or 60 days, and all they did was work out, eat healthy, all that stuff, right? And they're, they come out, and they're just all sexy and built, and wow, wouldn't we all like to do that, right? And then that's kind of like what I, kind of like recovery in some ways. You can get a fast start. Work through your trauma, understand from where you came, understand where you can go in a short, concise amount of time. Or, like the biggest loser, the opposite of that is to go to the gym for 30, 45 minutes a week, maybe once or twice a day, still eat fast food, 
never get anywhere. And a year later, you're like, why don't I look any different? Because <laughs> you didn't do anything. And so my <laughs> whole thought is, how can we get the, the best, fastest, most effective recovery in place? Again, what, no matter what addiction we're talking about, how can we ramp it up, work through the trauma, understand from where we came, figure out how do we get a great community around us, and then where are we going to go from there? So I call that like the trifecta of recovery. We have counseling, community, and coaching. And mm. that's what I want to offer people in an intervention with the family and their loved one. And it happens so many different ways. I mean, I talk about all the different scenarios in the book, but if we, if we can ramp it up and get to a healing place faster, then guess what? Wait, what, what, whatever month we're in, whatever month you're listening to, let's say Christmas is around the corner. Wouldn't it be great if Uncle Billy didn't come and smell like alcohol and pass out into the Christmas tree again this year? Let's get him sobered up, and, but also help him or her figure out who they are. And if we can help them figure out who they are, and of course, as a Christian, I'm all about identity in Christ, and not everyone that comes to me cares about God or Jesus or anything. They just want help, and that's fine. Like 45% of my clients could care less about Christianity but they know I care about it. They just appreciate the fact that I'm good at what I do and try to help move them along. So um, there's not one, there's not one answer to how to help somebody, but their good news is there is a way to help people. And that's what we want to offer people. I mean, I mean, your book's doing great things out there, helping people and understanding the thing you went through and you and your wife and what a cool story. I loved interviewing y'all on my show and just hearing, hearing your whole journey. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, you know, this 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 work that you do that we do, I mean, that's one thing I say all the time. It it I mean, it it's hard, no doubt. We're dealing with tough situations. Uh, but man, it is fun. Uh, because uh, you know, every now and then you see somebody's life uh really change and and they begin to do life different. And I mean, there's nothing greater, you know. I, I just always say I believe that the glory of God is a man fully alive, you know, living life to the full. Um, and, and it is hard work. There's no doubt. And it takes hard work to get there. And so in, in just in your story, what was the, what was the catalyst that kind of propelled you in the direction of recovering the life God intended you to live from the beginning? Yeah. Well, the first catalyst was, uh, in 2000, June 8th, 2001. I mean, I was dealing a lot with suicide ideation. I hated who I'd become. You know, I drank and drove eight nights a week. I was, you know, $70,000-ish in credit card debt. Like, my life stunk. But on the outside, you couldn't tell, <laughs> you know, that. But the suicide ideation stuff was so awful. Just the messages I heard from the enemy that you suck, you failed, you may as well kill yourself. And I would see myself literally die on certain days, like in a car accident that it didn't actually happen. But I would start seeing this stuff. And I, I was scared. I was scared for the first time for myself in recovery. I mean, in my addiction. Before then, it was just wild rob, but I was actually getting scared. And what happened one evening, Roan, as I was, I was hanging out in a bar, I went, and I went out eight nights a week. It was just what we did. And, um, and I know some people pondering, oh, wait, eight nights a week? There's only seven. I go, yeah, pretty much. I, I, carried each, I carried each night. You're messing with day. us. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so I was hanging out in a bar that mm-hmm. night. And there was music and girls and just a lot of action happening. And all of a sudden, Roan, the whole entire bar got dead silent. I could audibly hear the words, you're done. And then the bar got really loud again. 
And I looked around and I'm pretty sure I was the only one that happened to. And I looked at my friend, Sean, I was like, dude, I got to go home. I think I'm finally done drinking. And I had never, ever, ever said that before in my entire life, but something shifted. He looked at me and he laughed and said, we'll see you tomorrow. And I went home feeling like I was two different men. I was something that just happened in the bar guy. And then the guy that was highly intoxicated and I drove home. And the next thing I knew, I'd walked up 12 stairs to my one-bedroom apartment and put 350 pounds on the barbell and complete desperation and just isolation and just done, exhausted, just done. And I picked up that barbell, and I just unhinged my elbows to drop it across my chest and kill myself that evening. And the beautiful thing that happened in that moment was because, see, I believe God carries the weight of the world. And in that moment, God held the barbell, stopped time in my apartment, looked at my dog, Jake, and just said, go save your dad. And so my dog comes over and starts nudging my knee with his head and those deep wisdom eyes of a puppy dog. And I just kind of, what are you doing, dad? And my first thought was, who the heck is going to feed you tomorrow? And then I started thinking about good stuff in my life, like my mom and my dad and my brother, right? And then literally God just put that barbell back on the rack for me. and. That was the first night I had slept in peace in a couple decades, probably. Mm. And it was amazing. I, I literally, I mean, I just felt God's presence and felt him loving me. And to take a guy that could drink two, to, two bottles of scotch or a couple of cases of beer in a day, sales, marketing, partying kind of guy, and to remove that from me on June 8th, 2001, completely gone. I haven't had a craving in 21 years. It's just, I can only attribute that to God. And then came the real work of mental health and stuff, which as later on in my story, um, mental health took a big toll on me 11 years later. But June 8th, 2001 is my freedom, my divine freedom from any substances, tobacco, nicotine. I mean, I mean, drugs, alcohol, any of that stuff was just gone. So awesome. Love your story. Um, and then. The, you know, we talk about we got to get to sobriety, right? Sobriety is always number one because without sobriety, whatever it is, uh, sex, porn, drugs, alcohol, uh, you're just not going to get anywhere. And when we get to sobriety, it's kind of the, the next step is that idea of emotional sobriety. Um, I like that. I like that better than mental health. Uh, Because it's like it really, you know, when it comes down to it, I do believe it's the you know inability to regulate emotion, uh, those distress reduction behaviors, um, you know, emotion, distress as an emotion, and and really learning how to you know just even communicate and do conflict without you know losing our minds and going reactive. Uh, and it certainly, um, it looks like mental illness, uh, and it may be one and the same. I don't know, but sometimes I think it's, it's the idea of just emotionally healthy, um, even more so than mentally healthy. Uh, I think it's both and of course. And so talk about just your journey in, in really kind of seeing the, the, the stinking thinking, the distorted thinking, the, you know, dysfunctional behaviors and, and beginning to work through those. Yeah. Well, in early recovery, I was, I was a, I joined a recovery program and did everything they suggested and went through the steps and just found a lot of freedom. 
figure out who I was and all these things. I didn't do a lot of counseling, which when I look back on it now, that probably would have been a good idea to add counseling into my recovery plan. But I didn't see the need for it because I was just happy. I was free. I was in love with Jesus. I was, Mr. again, Mr. Recovery. And I just, it was just me, myself and I. We were, you know, solo living alone and just kind of had a huge community of people. So I just did what was suggested. And over time, you know, I, I got married to my wife and had children and had a business. And I realized that the faith I thought I had with deep roots was really scattered amongst the you know, seeds scattered amongst the rocks. I had shallow roots. I didn't dig deep and grow in my faith enough. And so over time, I stopped doing the things that were good for me. I stopped going to recovery meetings. I did start seeing a counselor, but then I stopped doing that. And I stopped seeing uh, going to men's groups because I was too busy, Roan. I was too busy to go to those things that were good for me. And long story short, I had a mental breakdown in 2012 and so many details in this, right? But I had a mental breakdown in 2012, um, snapped and made a really bad decision. And I don't know if it was a decision really. I just snapped and it was a mental blackout and just kind of life crashed down and uh, ended up nobody got hurt. Thank God. And you know, no lies were directly, um, like completely ruined, if you will, a huge impact on my community, but I ended up going to prison for 10 and a half months on a 13 year sentence. And while I was gone, I read the Bible front to back. I figured out who I was again, cause I had the time, you know, meanwhile, my wife's home being a single mom and taking care of all the stuff. It was hard on her, very hard on her. And it was almost easier on me being in prison than it was you know, dealing with that on the outside. And but I figured out who I was. I figured out the most important thing in my life is who I am in Christ. And now the way I live my life, you know, I live my life for God. I'm out there helping people. And anything that comes, now this is taking work, Roan, because <laughs> I've <laughs> still dealt with suicide ideation throughout the years. And I broke free from gambling addiction, thank God, because that was, that was harder than, than, than substances. And but what I realized was, what this above my computer, I have who I am in Christ. Anything that comes against that stuff is I poo poo it. I throw it away. It's gone. It'll come in and go out instead of come in and hibernate for a winter and remind me how horrible and awful and what a loser I am and all that stuff. I just quickly say, no, that's not true. That's not true. And I hold the truth that God says about me. And that's the way I choose to live my life now. That's the way I choose to try to coach people and help them move forward and figure out who are you. So I'm all about hope, identity, and purpose. And that's the mission I'm on now is to share that with people at men's retreats, you know, churches, high schools, middle schools, and just talk about hope, identity, and purpose. Mm, mm, so powerful. Yeah, I often say that, you know, when we're reading the Bible, we should take uh, the words um, shame, Satan, or well, Satan, devil, Beelzebub, whatever, and put the word shame there because if it is not him— it is certainly his greatest weapon, and um, I think he plants those seeds of shame in us very early in our lives, and we begin to believe the toxic shame messages. Somehow, I am not enough. I'm inadequate. I'm insignificant, and he goes back home to Las Vegas. That's where he lives, mm, um, and yeah. we give him a lot, way too much credit, um, and so or that the I heard it in your story is is I know you hear it in every guy's story that you work with and well that shame is just insidious um and and so today just um you know, talk about just um your your ministry your uh practice and and tell us about the uh the book 
that has that came out in July. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. Thanks, thanks for asking about that. And two, the one thing I it started coming out of my mouth recently was the shame boulder that's in front of people's mouths that want to reach out for help but they can't because mm. there's too much shame. Mm. And it's like, let's roll those boulders away. And, and the thing is, if you yell out enough, the shame boulder will turn into a bunch of pebbles. And you're like, eh, mm. that wasn't actually that big of a deal. But shame boulder has been a word that I've been using. I don't even know where it came from, but I'm adopting that. I'm trademarking. I'm copywriting <laughs> right now on your show. Shame awesome. boulder is Rob's thing. And no, I'm just kidding. Um, that means I can't steal it. You can't you steal know, it, but it, you can't. You it, just have it, to it, quote me. Here's the thing. If you hear somebody it, from something, you quote them the first couple of times. Yeah. And then the third or fourth time, you're like, there's, I can't remember. I heard it from some guy somewhere, somewhere and then after somewhere. the fourth or fifth time, it's yours. So own it. Um, yeah, but, I have the spirit, spiritual gift of plagiarism. Yeah, so, yeah. In yeah. in the, the great, <laughs> the Bible's like the one book you can plagiarize with, and the and the author of it's going to going to praise you for it. So that's um, right. But so yeah, so I wrote the addiction intervention book. You know, this here it is. Um, and the reason why I did this is because I believe there are so many ways to help people break the cycles of addiction. Totally believe that. So I wrote this book and interviewed all these professionals on how they do interventions and their personal stories and why they are passionate about it. So the whole basis behind the addiction intervention book is to teach families how they can help their loved one break free from addiction, no matter what it is, teach families how they can gain tools for themselves, whether their loved one chooses recovery or not, and help professionals be better at what they do to just say, hey, here's a great resource to like get in your practice. Have all your counselors and therapists read it, you know, buy a book for everybody off of Amazon and just send it to them and say, hey, here's a book we need to read to gain 11 perspectives on how to help people break free from addictions. And we talk about food and sex and substances and all that. So my whole entire ministry is called Lifted from the Rut. And I do interventions, coaching, podcasting, online courses, uh, you know, events and all these things to just kind of catch people at a different season in their life. And that's what I'm all about is the whole thing it gets back to Roan is getting people to a point where they can figure out who they are and then how they can live from that. And that's my passion. Awesome. Um, and, and if people want to get in touch with you, what's the easiest way to do that? Uh, easiest way is just go to lifted from the rut.com and just, you know, shoot me an email through there or call me. I get my number out and I mean this. It's like, Hey, here's my phone number. It's not, it's not a robot. It's not anything else but Rob Lohman. And people can literally just call me at 970-331-4469. Send me a text. Tell me you heard me on Roan's show, and I'll, I'll respond to you. But just reach out for help some way. But, yeah, they can just go to liftedfromtherut.com and find everything I do on there. And uh, there's a contact form or just call me or text me. Man, awesome. Um, always good to sit with you, um, to, just to be with you, my friend, and certainly appreciate you, uh, love you, appreciate the work that you do. And, um, one of these days, hopefully we'll get to do some men's stuff together. Heck yeah. I, I hear about, fun. I hear about, I hear about man camp or what do you, what do you call it? What you do? Oh yeah. We, you know, in Mississippi, we call it deer camp. Deer camp. Um, that's right. I need to come yeah. out to a deer camp and hang out. Yeah. Yeah. We we do one down in Alabama on the in Fairhope and we call that one fish camp. So yeah, yeah. Hey, whatever. It's we, camp, and we need camp. It's camp. Yeah, it, that's what? that's it. I love it. Absolutely. All right, Rob. Great to be with you, my friend. Yeah, thanks, Ron. Always soon. a pleasure to talk to you. Keep up the good work. Sex God and yeah. Chaos, baby. Go get go get Ron's book and change your life. <laughs> there you go. Thanks, man. 
learn more about what you've heard today and to engage with the Sex, God, and Chaos team, visit sexgodchaos.com.